So before we started recording tonight, Bob, <laughs> I, I, I got off the phone with my girlfriend, right? And she said to me, she says, oh, don't, I thought you had to record the podcast. I told her we were going to be recording at 10 o'clock. And I said, well, you know, the Phillies game ran really long tonight, so we're going to record a little bit late. She said, oh, why did it run long? I said, well, they lost 16-2. to two. And she said, they lost 16-2. to two. What, did they have their eyes closed? Now, this is someone who does not watch one iota of sports. Not one bit. Lucky girl. Not one girl. bit of sports. And she said that. And, and she couldn't be more right about this Philadelphia Phillies team because they have been playing like they've had their eyes closed for a while now. And now when you see, when you go up against a team that is a really good baseball team, you see the difference between the Phillies and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they lose 16-2. to in this game tonight. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. He's Bob Wankel. Welcome into Crossed Up. And boy, it's not going to be pretty tonight. Once again, <laughs> Bob, we record after a loss, but boy, we picked the an positivity ugly one. podcast. Yeah, the <laughs> Phillies positivity podcast. Exactly. Um, you know, I got to say, like, I have tried very hard this year to uh, try to keep a level head and. And we've had conversations about, you know, I'm down there now and I have my credentials and I, I try to be as fair as I possibly can. And, you know, you're in the locker room and you do this and you've done this for a long time. Mm-hmm. You have to be fair with people. You have to look these guys in the eye and, and you have to, you know, you don't want to take cheap shots. You don't want to call for people's jobs when, when it might be a little bit hasty to do so. Phillies lose 16-2 to tonight. They've lost three out of four to start the second half of the season after a really underwhelming June, which they went 11-16. and And, you know, outside of, of beating up the Mets a little bit, the Phillies have been horrendous now for, for really a month and a half. And they've fallen from first place in the division to well out of first place. Braves are beating the Brewers again tonight. And the Nationals, who, who beat the Phillies two out of three this weekend, have also passed them now in the division standings. This is a mess, and I've I've spent a lot of time on this program talking about Gabe Kapler and defending the Phillies and, and saying, you know, hey, listen, I think that some of the criticism's unfair. After tonight, I think that any criticism that's, that's delivered by anybody is warranted and is fair. Uh, I just don't know how much longer we can do this. I don't know how much longer you can watch this team on a nightly basis and say this is an acceptable product. It feels like they're trying. Uh, This doesn't feel like a product of injury to me anymore. It just feels like an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, because it is. (laughs) Because it is, Bob. And it's an unmitigated disaster. Not because, I mean, look, everybody needs to share the blame. It's an unmitigated disaster, not specifically because of the players. It's an unmitigated disaster, not specifically because of the manager. It's an unmitigated disaster, not specifically because of poor roster construction or poor um, uh, you know, depth in the, in the organization. It's all of that. It's all of that. Every wart that the Phillies have in this organization is visible right now. There are no hidden ones. They are all there out in the forefront, and you can see them. And not only can you see every wart, but they're red and juicy, and the freaking spotlight is on each and every one of them. Okay, that's what it is. And you're seeing what happens when you don't put together the right kind of team. And, and, and that's and this is this is a damnation of the organization and the way that they've gone. They've got they went in a new direction. Okay, which they try to say this is the way baseball's going, and okay, fine. Some teams did. 
This has worked for some teams. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this doesn't work in baseball. That would be that would be stupid of me. You know, even as an old school guy, it would be stupid of me to say that this doesn't work. It certainly does. There are teams who play this brand of baseball and are successful. It is not working here. Period. Period. End of sentence. And everybody in this organization is damn responsible for it. Well, that'll take care of tonight's episode. <laughs> just, there's no, it's hard to it's hard to have a back and forth because you're absolutely right. I usually will pose some type of response here at this point. I'll say, well, listen, you know, but it's it's really hard at this point to to defend any aspect of this organization, and you know, it's gonna eventually it's going to cost somebody their job. Right, like I think we understand. It that. has to. If things continue, it has to. If things continue down this path, it's going to cost somebody their job. And and so I, um, you know, big, big media guy Bob Wankel. I was on WIP last week with Vince oh, yes, Quinn. And, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, and I had said during that that spot, he says like, you know, I'm out on Gabe. Where are you at on Gabe? And I said, I think that two things can be true at this point. I think that. Gabe Kapler can be a decent manager, you know, one day, maybe even today. And his message could be sincere, and I think that he truly believes what he says and, and the things that he goes to the media with and probably the things he tells his players in the clubhouse. I know people kind of think that he's full of shit. I don't. I think there's some sincerity in it. Those things can be true, but Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia for more than a year and a half now isn't working. And it, it kind of pains me to say that because I like Gabe Kapler. I think he's a good guy and I, I enjoy him, but it just doesn't seem to be working. And so I don't think it's all Gabe Kapler's fault. And this is to your point. I don't think it's all Gabe Kapler's fault. I don't think that he's the reason the Phillies are only two games over 500 and the reason they lost 16 to two tonight. But to point to this game specifically, there are a couple things that we have to look at. You know, the bottom of the third inning, Mike Alfranco works a pretty quality at bat. He runs it like 9-10 pitches deep, fouling off pitches, Clayton Kershaw's on the ropes, Phillies lead one nothing, and eventually he rolls over to third base and he's thrown out. Throws off line from third. Franco, I would say, jogs it, sort of jogs it down the first baseline. He doesn't get to the bag in time. If he had broken it down the line or had some some more speed, maybe he beats it out, and everyone goes crazy. The ESPN broadcast was ripping him apart. It sort of looked like it was another instance in where the in which the Phillies don't hustle. There's that. Roll it over to the fourth inning. They have a disastrous fourth inning. They give up six runs. Eflin gets hit around a little bit. They execute the Dodgers a double steal. Uh, they steal home. Uh, <laughs> Phillies don't properly cover a bunt in the inning. And then finally, when they get the third out, they don't realize that there's three outs in the inning and they pause on the field before finally coming off the field after the third out. The sequence in the bottom of the third from the top to the uh, top of the fourth inning was probably the most disturbing, embarrassing sequence I've ever seen of Phillies baseball. And I will say, well, at least I'm 33 at least, years old. At least the most disturbing since Gabe called for a left-handed reliever who wasn't even warming up. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, like <laughs> at least that, that was just a simple miscommunication. This was a series of ridiculous events that you could go through multiple seasons and, and never see. see. Yeah, yeah. And they all happened in a 25-minute sequence. I mean, it is, it's indefensible at this point to say... 
you know, it's just, you got to ride it out. It's bad luck. It's a, the injuries, the, you know, you can't hustle every play. I mean, we, we were on the other side of this issue as, as soon as, or shortly as a month ago, right? Like, you know, this is Major League Baseball. Guys aren't going to bust it out of the box every day. Like, I get that. But this is now so far beyond what is even remotely acceptable. It, you just can't, I can't defend it anymore. I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't do it. No, nor should you. Nor should you, Bob, because... And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to it, though, right? Like, yeah, you are. You know, you, you, you get to the park on, on Sunday morning, and it's 10.30, and what do you get? You get this, this notice from the Phillies. Tommy Hunter, back on the injured list with a, with a forearm strain. And, it, you know, I get it. it. They've had one injury after another. It's been, it's been insane to see what the Phillies have gone through in terms of injury this season, and I do get that. But, like, it's – that's – I can't just write off what's happening because of, of depth issues and because of injury anymore. You just I just can't do it. No. See, this is why – and, look, I'm not – we've had the whole hustle discussion, right? We've had this discussion. And both – neither you nor I are guys who are particularly, you know, hung up on the notion of hustling, right? And, and that's fine. Um but the, I think this is why people dwell on it, because if you don't address it when it happens, it, you, you, you have the possibility or run the probability up a little higher that it will repeat itself. So at some point, okay, maybe you don't address the first time, and then it happens the second time, and you say, okay, man, maybe we have to say something now. Okay, if not the second, definitely the third. But if you continue to just not do anything and not address it, it becomes part of the culture. Okay? And that's where it goes wrong. That's where it goes sour. And that's when, look, we're not sitting here saying each individual hustle play in and of itself taken in a vacuum is something that you should, as a fan, get pissed off about. But when you take the collective and you realize that there is nothing being done to address this, at least nothing that we are aware of. And maybe there is, and, and these guys are just like, screw it, we're going to keep being lazy. Um, then you have, it creates more mental blocks, more bad plays, or they don't know the number of outs, not covering first base on a bunt. These things permeate through that locker room because it's not addressed. And I think that's the, that's the reason why the fans here dwell on that stuff. Yeah, is it wrong to, to go overboard and say bench your guy, bench Gene Segura, you know, because he fell down in the box and didn't run to first? Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But when it happens a second time and a third time and you're still not addressing it, I think that's when you, you start to say this could go sideways fast. And do, we, do you think we're, we're do you think we're at the point of no return now with that? With the hustle issue? Like can this be can this be remedied, or are we? Yeah. Is this over? Well, okay. It depends on how you it depends on how you're remedying it. Okay, because and if, let's just say this, and let's just preface this by saying that he was asked about this play tonight. Uh, Gabe Kapler was after the game, and uh, he said that uh, I don't. This isn't a direct quote, but I'm paraphrasing. He was kind of moving around, checking his groin, in referring to Mike Alfranco. Uh, before I get into details, let me talk to him. So, I, you know, Kapler's thing was, yeah, kind of like an acknowledgement that it didn't look good, but, you know, I want to make sure that I want to make sure that he wasn't hurt before I, I publicly gotcha. eviscerate him. And that's and, fine. And okay, that's but... Okay. That's okay. 
but he think... did remain in the game as well. So right, uh, you know, I, I think okay. that that's okay. But what Gabe has to say there, uh, he's, you know, he what he has to do is he's got to qualify it, and he's got to say. Look, I don't, I don't want to, you know, say anything negative about him because, you know, he might have a groin injury, but I want to talk to him see how he's feeling. However, and this is what he needs to say, however, if he's okay, then it's unacceptable. If he's healthy, right. that's unacceptable, and that cannot happen anymore, and we will address, address that. You know, so that's what, that's what you have to do. You have to say – you don't want to you don't want to throw, you know, go absolutely, you know, you don't want to obliterate the guy for not hustling. Fine. Fine, but you have to qualify it at least. And the fact that he doesn't, just it sets it up for more. You know, there's one knucklehead play after another. And then you have a guy like Harper, not that it happened tonight, but then Harper sees this and he's like, well, damn, man, I got to make something happen. And he's, and we've talked about this too. He gets over-aggressive. And over-aggressive is sometimes just as bad as being, being not hustling, right? Because it's you're, you're trying to create something that you shouldn't be trying to create because the rest of the team is in such a damn funk that you can't, you know. So, like, it's a mistake of aggression. They are riddled with this, these problems through this organization. Who has to take the blame for that? You can't fire 25 players. You can't. So somebody's got to go. I'm not necessarily saying it's the manager. It can be the manager. But somebody in this organization has to take the, be axed. There has to be. They have to try and wake this. Well, I, I will say this. I think that it's going to be the first guy that will go, or the guy that's going to fall on the sword here is probably going to be Gabe Kapler. I think that that's where this is going to start. But I will tell you that when I do the power rankings of responsibility for this shit show that we're watching right now, it, it to me it falls squarely and primarily on the shoulders of Matt Klintak. Yes. Look at the spending power that this man's been given over the last two off-seasons. There may not be a general manager in baseball that has been given more opportunity, more equity, more spending power, and gotten less out of it than Matt Klintak. And I understand that injuries are part of the game. I, I know that David Robertson had been a, a fairly dependable guy in terms of health over, over the course of his career, but... You just look at what, and and even the guys that aren't hurt, just they've sort of underwhelmed. They just haven't been that good. They've just been a tick off. And that, that extends to JT Romuto, who made an all-star team, and he's, he's good. He's a nice player, but he's just not that guy that we thought he was going to be. We thought that you bring him to Citizens Bank Park for 81 games a year, and we're looking at a 300 hitter with potentially 25, 30 home runs. That hasn't materialized. Right. You look at Bryce Harper. He's, he's been okay. An OPS in the 830s. Batting in the mid-250s. He's been okay. He's got one home run in the month of July. He has like you know, one home run in his last 39 plate appearances. Do you know Bryce Harper? And actually, it might be more than that. Do you know Bryce Harper has only one more home run than Freddie Galvis? That's... Yeah, I do, actually, because I saw someone bitching about it on Twitter today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he came in today with uh, one more homer than Freddie Galvis. I don't know if Freddie did anything tonight or if they even played the Blue Jays, but yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's where we're at. And you're talking about Cody Bellinger, and you watch him ripping two more homers tonight and going, he's got more than twice the amount of home runs that Bryce Harper has right now. Home runs are being hit at a historic rate this season, and... You know, he's got 16. He's on pace for like 26, 27 home runs at this point. And it's kind of kind of crazy. And he's the least of the Phillies' concerns, by the way. You know, and it, it kind of begs the question, and it goes back to something you were talking about a minute ago. 
if Gabe Kapler is not the leader of this team or he can't get these players to, to kind of get in line and, and do the, the bare minimum on a consistent basis where we revert back to these instances of guys taking plays off and sort of dogging it, it seems like once a week or once every other week. Okay, all right, fine. But who is the leader in this locker room? And this is something that we've talked about on this show recently, as, as recent as two or three weeks ago. I'll go back to what I, I, I said before, and this is just from my own observation from having been down there. I don't see a leader on this team. I don't. I don't know if Reese Hoskins can blossom into one, or maybe one day it'll be Scott Kingery, or maybe it's Aaron Nola. I don't think it is. I don't think that Aaron Nola possesses leadership qualities. I think he's a hell of a pitcher. Yeah, he doesn't have that personality. But he's quiet as a mouse. He's super unassuming. Even after the games, when when they win and everyone's in a, in a, a party mood and they're kind of getting after it a little bit, Aaron Nola's sort of just kind of doing his own thing. And that's fine. That doesn't make Aaron Nola a bad guy. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to win. But Aaron Nola doesn't scream natural-born leader to me. So who is it? You know, you go around this starting lineup. You go around this rotation. You look at the people coming out of this bullpen. Who's the leader on this team? Because from my observations, and I've been in the Phillies locker room 20 times this season, you know, roughly half their home games, I don't I don't see one. No. No, I mean, I, I would if I had to pick somebody, I would say it's it's Reese Hoskins. But so would I. But what you know, yeah. and and he's having a nice season. I mean, he had two yeah. what two more hits tonight, yeah. OPS in the mid nine hundreds. He he's done his job. I mean, this isn't a criticism. This isn't a criticism of Reese Hoskins. But I just gotta say, like, who's the guy that walks in that clubhouse and says, "What the?" I'm sorry, but what what the fuck are we doing right now? What? What is going on in here? Like, we just lost 16-2 to to the Dodgers. We came into the season as a contender in the National League. People thought that we were going to be in the conversation with a team like this. And we got our doors blown off. We got our doors blown off after we lost two out of three at home in an important series to the Washington Nationals. After we underwhelmed for a month and a half prior to that. You know, like, yeah. at, what point does, what the, at what point does pride come into play here? And, and that's the thing that kind of concerns me. And like you said at the top of the show, it's a little bit on the manager. It's absolutely on the roster construction. It's on injuries. It's the bullpen. It's the rotation. It's the lineup. Nobody's doing their job. And when you look across the board and you see this utter lack of, um, you know, just a, a utter lack of production, you, you have to you have to do something. You know, there's a difference between – looking at small sample sizes and, and saying, hey, listen, let's not overreact. Let's not panic. You know, we can get them tomorrow. But we've been watching this now for seven weeks go south. At, at what point do we – at what point does someone step up in that locker room and say, this is bullshit, we got to do something differently? Or at what point do the Phillies say, okay, you know, as currently constructed, this isn't going to work? Not only should the Phillies probably not be buyers at this point, I think that they have to kind of consider the idea that they might need to sell. Yeah, but what are you selling? Uh, uh, let me give you some names, okay? Like, let's get weird here, right? Because the Phillies are so dramatically screwed up at this point. Who can they theoretically sell? I'll tell you, I, I would I would look long and hard at trading Hector Naris to a team that could use a 7th or 8th inning guy. Okay. Uh, I, would, I would say that uh, Jay Bruce, at this point, has value. Do the Phillies need Jay Bruce in 2020? Like, maybe. Maybe. I, maybe. I mean, if they do, that's, that's trouble. You know, so like a veteran bat that's on pace to hit, you know, 35 to 40 homers. Is there any trade value in him? Possibly. I, I, you know, and I know that, that, that this has been said, and I know that 
uh, Jack Fritz at WIP actually tweeted this out. Like, I think that the uh, High Hopes podcast, our rival podcast, uh, talked a little bit about this. But, like, what about the idea of, of trading JT Real Muto? Now, I think that the Phillies expended if so you much. trade JT Real Muto right, at right. this point, holy cow. But, you know, it's an interesting thought. And, and as much as people want to just dismiss it as completely ridiculous, I don't think it's going to happen. And I'm not even advocating for it. I'm not saying that I would do it. But I do think that if you could get the right deal back and you look at where the Phillies are positioned right now, like if I was made an offer that I can't refuse, I don't know. Why the hell not? Why not? I don't know. I just think you gave because, up so Because much it would look it. bad? Because My it would be God. an admission? It would be an admission that the organization just it pieced together a team that wasn't going to win? They don't need to admit it. We're all watching it. We're wa- we've watched it now for, for 90 games. So, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, like I'm not, I'm not telling you that I would trade JT Real Muto, but if, if the right deal came along, I, don't, I would have to at least evaluate that long and hard. I, I really would. Because, you know, maybe the Phillies come back tomorrow and they, they, they win the next two or they win the next three and they take the series from the Dodgers. Like, I can't even get through that sentence without laughing at myself. But I don't want to overreact to one specific night, but when you look at what has happened leading up to what we watched tonight, it, it, was, pretty, it was pretty concerning. And I think that the Phillies might need to reevaluate now the direction that they want to head the rest of this season. Yeah, but here's the question that I have for you, Bob. Are you confident that the people in charge are the people you want making that decision? No. Then, <laughs> no, God, then no. as far as then, yeah. if you had to ask me, what we, would we I had pre- the same, same conversation with Ru- about Ruben Amaro Jr. like yeah. three years ago. Right. Do you trust Ruben Amaro Jr. to break down this team and get value back? And yeah. and in hindsight, no, we probably shouldn't have. You know, okay. like unless you're really fine. like Jared Eichoff and Nick Williams at this point. No, and that's fine. Okay, so then what I want to have happen is that they don't do anything. What I want to see happen is I want John Middleton, and he's the guy that I really want to hear from now because we heard from Andy McPhail on Monday, and now his words sound Dude, even more ridiculous. Is the he's the worst, and and I know what he said about like, hey, I don't think we're one move away, and he's right. But like, if you're gonna say that, like, there has to be an acknowledgement that we sold. The idea that this team was here, that it had arrived. Yeah. That, you know, you listen to Matt Klintak say that we had this objectively excellent offseason. And my God, that is going to go down as an all-timer. When it's said and yep. done, you will not even remember Jeffrey Lurie's gold standard comments. Like nope. People that are 20 years of age and younger won't even know that that was ever said. Objectively, <laughs> I am telling objectively you, excellent. Uh, objectively excellent. And mm-hmm. here we are. You know, they are behind the pace that they were last season. 48 and 46, objectively excellent. After all that money, after hundreds of million dollars being doled out on this roster, this is where they're at right now. I mean, you just, I don't know, man. It's, it's, so for, for Andy McPhail to come out and say, like, well, you know, we're on course and, you know, blah, 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 like everything's fine. We're not going all in because we shouldn't and, you know, I don't disagree with some of his premise, but, like, it's almost just there's no so, acknowledgement that, like, hey, we're shit in the bed right now. It like, was so disingenuous. Needs to come out and say, like, this is, it was so disingenuous, Oh, my God. It was Bob. 
brutal. It was so disingenuous because he's sitting there trying to tell you, oh, well, no, we've got to be careful now because we're not, you know, we're more than one move away from the World Series. But thinking that we're going to forget the fact that you came out at the beginning of the year and basically said, we're, we're all in now. <laughs> like, we're yeah, going to win a- now. Andy McPhail, Andy McPhail speaks like I should care about what the hell he did in other cities. Like twenty he, years ago, no less. He talks like I should care about nineteen ninety and what he did with the Orioles. Like I, who care? I don't care. I'm not impressed. Yeah, I'm not either. You know. So so we and, need to hear. From, we need to hear from John Middleton. And I think that after a loss like this, John Middleton should make himself available to the media tomorrow. And he needs to come out and 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 he needs to say to the public, "This is unacceptable. What we have going on here." I am not happy with the organization, the way the organization is going. Our people need to get this fixed and get it fixed quick. That's what he needs to say. Yeah. And he needs to say it like that. And then what you do by him doing that, that gives Matt Clentak, Andy McPhail, Gabe Kapler, and the rest of the coaching staff like two weeks to turn this turn this shit around or else guess what? You're all the hell out of a job come October. Yeah, well they got they got twelve more games before the trade deadline. Uh, so, and I think that that's a nice line of demarcation at this point, quite honestly. John Middleton, there's part of me that, that sort of blames him, yet feels for him. Because what do you, at the end of the day, expect of your owner? You want a guy that wants to win. Right. And you want a guy that's willing to, to spend the money to win. And Correct. I would say that, that John Middleton has certainly indicated that he wants to win, and I believe that he wants to win. And he went out this this past offseason, and he spent the money necessary that really should put a winning product on the field. So I can't be overly critical of John Middleton, but at the same time, you know, he flexed. When they signed Bryce Harper, he kind of did his victory lap like, you know, here I am. And if, if you remember uh, NBC Sports Philly, they did their little signing Bryce show and Middleton's interviewed and he's a rock star and he's, he's taking his lap and, and everyone's loving him. Okay. That's, and, and, and I, I was happy for him. Good for him. But now given the way that things have played out, like, yeah, he's got to come out now and say like, listen, this, this has not been good enough. I'm not okay with this. And if he continues to just kind of stay silent this is an instance where I, I want to hear from the owner, and, and I don't always. You know, sometimes I don't think it's the owner's place to really say anything. Just, you know, no, write the checks this, and, and chill. You're right. But, but in this instance, he has to come out and speak because we're not getting the right answers from the manager. We're not getting the right answers from the general manager. We're not getting the right answers from the president. Like, we've had this process, right? The Phillies basically let, let put Gabe on an island for a while and said, you handle all the questions. And Gabe's handle all the questions, and we don't like the way he answers them. Okay, fine. So then Clentac has to come out and speak. And he comes out and says the things that he comes out to say. And we sit there and say, you're delusional too. Where's the president? Then McPhail makes himself available finally on Monday, and he's the biggest jackass of them all. The biggest jackass of them all by the stuff that he says. How can you, when the team is in such free fall, how can you sit there and say that an honest question about the manager is something that you don't want to, quote, dignify with a response. I mean, how can you say that? That is so out of touch with what your team is showing us. We are not stupid people. We are not. And, and he is just, I don't know what he's thinking. 
I don't know what he's thinking. Who does he think he's pulling the wool over their eyes? Yeah, but did you know that he won two World Series as the Twins general manager in 1987 and 1990? I don't frigging care. I don't care. That's what I'm saying to you. So when you have one jackass answer after another from the people that you're putting out in front of the cameras and in front of the microphones, then the the owner has to come in and say, this is isn't good and if that and you know what if john middleton came out tomorrow and did that and and said that i'd I'd be like okay fine even if they even if they continue to lose and plummet down the standings at least i know the owner recognizes that it's a failure and and that his anger will probably lead to change so to me i would feel better about this but the fact that they don't that i get don't get that response at all tells me that they are clueless, clueless in this organization. And yeah, that's and, and what if, bothers if me. If we pause at this point and people are going like, man, they're going after Kapler, they're going after the front office. Like, what about the players? Like, don't you put it on the players? You know, yeah. I'll say this. Yeah, sure. I mean, at some point, the responsibility does fall on the players. I, I, I would like to see more out of guys like Bryce Harper. I'd like to see a little bit more out of JT Realmuto. I'd like to see more out of Gene Segura. I hate the fact that, that Mike Alfranco, I, I wrote it in the game story after he hit the walk-off on Sunday, that he's a human roller coaster. I'd like to see a little bit more consistency. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But I got to say, it. like, at some point, you look up and down this roster, and you see the results that they're getting, and, like, I can't bring myself to get pissed off at Andrew Knapp anymore. I'm sorry. Like, Andrew Knapp isn't a very good baseball player. He's arguably one of the, you know, not to not to exaggerate, but he's probably one of the worst players I've seen on a team that is is supposed to win. He's he's not good. He's not a useful part. And if he is a useful part, he certainly isn't a guy that I want pinch hitting in high leverage situations, which he seems to do frequently. Right. That's not a- an indictment of Andrew Knapp. It's an indictment of the guy that built the roster that allows Andrew Knapp to come up in those situations. So here's so here's one I want to give you, okay? Here's one I want to give you. Perfect example. So and I'm glad you bring up Andrew Knapp. Yeah, he stinks. But the fact of the matter is, is that even though he stinks, even though you know he stinks and I know he stinks and and all of our listeners know he stinks, the Phillies still feel like it's best. The best strategy is use your better pinch hitters early and then save Andrew Knapp, of all people, for the ninth inning when you need a big hit. That's an organizational strategy. That's but not, Anthony, not, I can't even not, I can't even engage in that conversation because who who are they burning early that you're like oh they should have saved well, they should have saved who Brad well, Miller like no, are I, we really going to say that they should have saved Brad Miller for the ninth inning because I agree with you dude like I I wholeheartedly agree but like they don't have anybody it's they like don't. pick it's your the wor- poison it's the, it's, it's the worst bench in baseball I, I've been tweeting this out now for for like the last three or four days like their pinch hitters this season are batting roughly 160 yeah. like I don't know what they but did tonight but, okay, but, but they're hitting 165 coming into tonight dead last in the national league yeah. they're awful no they are and I, but I'll, here's what I'll say though Bob like for example like you know they went out and signed Logan Morrison right He's probably going to end up getting called up to the big club after he gets. His, he has to. Yeah. He has okay. To. He's going to get called up because he had 30, two years ago he had thirty eight home runs. Okay. So he's going to get called up. Left handed. Nine ninety nine OPS. Yeah. Triple A with the Yankees. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Left handed power bat. He's going to get called up. So, but what I'm saying to you is, is that I don't believe in any stretch by any stretch of the imagination that Logan Morrison's going to be saved for the eighth ninth inning on most nights. I think 
that you're going to see Logan Morrison if you got runners on base in the sixth inning and you're taking your pitcher out. It's going to happen. And so it's still, even if you call up a guy who is probably going to be your best pinch hitter, he's still going to be used before in a spot, and then there's yeah. still going to be the Andrew Knapp guy, whoever it is, at the back end. It's an organizational philosophy that is failing. That is failing. Whoever the Phillies have in their uh, analytics department, again, I'm not criticizing analytics. I'm criticizing the people the, who the are Phillies running implementation the Phillies implementation of these analytics. Yes, yes. That's right. yeah. yes. Okay, I'm not criticizing the concept. I'm criticizing the people doing it. That they feel that this is the best way to go, and it's proving wrong. It's proving 100% wrong. And so that has to be fixed and corrected. Bring in other analytics people. I don't care. That, and, and you want to still do that? Fine. But bring in people who's who's... Gonna, who are going to find the right way to do it, not the wrong way that the Phillies are doing it. Yeah, and, and you know, just to kind of extend that point, we're talking about the bench now, and it, it spills over from the bench. You, look at the starting rotation. Zach Eflin. I think most people would agree that Zach Eflin's been the Phillies' second-best starting pitcher this season, for whatever that's <laughs> worth, right? Like, Zach Eflin's been the Phillies' second-best starting pitcher this season. Yeah. You, you, you go back to July – or, I'm sorry, June 1st, Entering tonight, his ERA was was well over five. Now, tack on whatever happened tonight and, you know, compound that. You're talking about him being probably pushing six now since June 1st. I don't have the updated numbers in front of me, and it doesn't really matter because the point remains he's hasn't been good. And, and what have we seen from Zach Eflin in past seasons? Four or five starts of dominance followed by three to four starts of mediocrity followed by two starts of getting blown up. And then he kind of – evens out and he gives you some more mediocrity and and this has been the cycle of Zach Eflin am I mad at Zach Eflin anymore like no I, I gotta be honest with you like I watch Zach Eflin pitch and I go this is what he is he might give you something one night he might not the next that's where we're at with him Nick Pavetta trying to watch him put it together not be able to put it together misses spot by two feet with two strikes on a batter like that's what Nick Pavetta is that's what he does he hasn't developed I can't get mad at Nick Pavetta anymore like yes it's on him for not taking the next step but like they didn't develop him they also trusted his his development which didn't occur so it's it's a failure on three different levels it's the players fault it's the the lack of development within the organization to take these guys to the next level and then it's at the highest level allowing this to continue to unfold despite no track record of actually the success coming to fruition so it's just it's a complete disaster you go through and you like, right now Vince Velasquez is going to get the ball and I'm thinking to myself like you can make an argument like I could literally construct an argument which Vince Velasquez is the Phillies third best starting pitcher right now think about that for a team can, that you, they trotted out there and said you can make an argument that he's their second best second best yeah I was about I to mean, say Vince that Velasquez a guy that was in the bullpen a little over a month ago yeah. Could arguably be the guy that you trust behind Aaron Nola the second most right now. It's crazy. And so that's why I I have moved my ire away from players. Like we've talked about players a ton on this podcast over the last year and a half. Like that guy needs to step up. He needs to take a step. He needs to man up. I'm past like sacking up, manning up, showing up. And you know why, Bob? You know why you are past it? Because look at this roster and uh, find me a player who is uh, on the current 25-man roster who is a overwhelming disappointment. 
I'm sorry, did you say find you a player on the 25-man roster that's, that's overwhelming an disappointment? overwhelming disappoint, disappointment. <laughs> I mean, I could give you anybody at this point, basically. No, 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 no. That's an, individually is an overwhelming disappointment. See, I, th- I could, I will. Oh, argue, you're going to go the other way. That like, I will they're argue just what they are. Yeah. Yes, that they are what they are. Yeah, okay. And that All no right. one. I mean, yeah. Are we? You've pointed it out. We're dis- Yeah. Harper's numbers aren't good enough. Real Muto's numbers aren't good enough. But they're not. They're not overwhelming. Terrible, yeah. Right. They're not yeah. overwhelmingly disappointing. So what I'm saying to you is, is that these players are what they are, and it, it, at some point you can't just sit there and say, "Well, you got to be better." Well, how are you better than what you are? You are what you are. It's more the evaluation and and the, yeah. and the construction. Yeah, no, of the I team. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, that's why to <laughs> me, that's why I am so angry with the the organization. I, I just think it's it's a the the mess starts up top and works. And its then way you down. get. And then you get, and I, I did want to mention this on the show, <laughs> Howard Eskin was there post-game tonight. Now, like I said, I've been to about 20 games, and uh, I, don't, I don't recall Howard being at any of the post-games that, that I was at. Like, for instance, Sunday was, it was Ryan Howard Day, right? And so, like, Howard was there early, and he's there a lot of times during pre-game availability when I'm there. So I've seen him a lot. I haven't seen him stick around for a post-game availability, and I'm, there's part of me that almost wonders. And I was not down there tonight. I was I was off tonight. <laughs> I almost feel like it got to like eight or nine to one in the middle innings, and Howard said, "You know, maybe I'll drop by the stadium." Like there's this part of me that was like, he he knew there was an opportunity to return to Citizens Bank Park and ask these questions, and so he was. Very active post-game tonight, and he straight-up asked Gabe if he was embarrassed after the game, and uh, Kapler had said, basically, just in so many words, we, we just have to play better. It's not really my, my job or my position to be embarrassed. I just need to get us to play better. And then he referenced specifically, Howard did, uh, that in the fourth inning, after the Phillies finally got the third out of the inning, none of the players moved off the field seemingly forgetting how many outs there were in the inning. And Gabe says, uh, I think that's another thing that's going to take some question asking. And then he said, we need to turn the page and, and get to the next day. So I, I think the manager at this point is, is, out of, is, is frankly out of answers. I don't think he knows where to go from here. I don't know that the GM and the front office know where to go from here. And I think a locker room that is kind of lacking leadership really knows internally how to rally themselves and, and progress from here. You know, there have probably been, and, and I don't know, maybe in hockey or, you know, I know you're, you're a big baseball guy too. Maybe you can come up with an example of this. But do you think that there have been teams that have uh, underperformed and then gotten it together and it really had nothing to do with the manager. It wasn't that the manager came in and gave a rah-rah speech and rallied the troops. It's just that these guys sat down and said, like, this is bullshit. We got to get it going. Well, I mean, you could look at the St. Louis Blues this year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they were yeah. the worst team in hockey in January. And, yeah, they made a coaching change. But they made the coaching change two months earlier. And for, like, a month and a half, even with the new coach, and I like Craig Berube as a coach, but for a month and a half they were still pretty miserable. With a new coach, and then well, they finally... so you would know that was that uh, just a matter of adjusting to his system before they kind of clicked, or was it just like, eh, whatever? I think, you know? I think there's, I think there's some of it that goes to the coach, but I mean, at the same time, they they just finally realized that they were playing like shit, and they needed to 
turn it on, and they did and never stopped, and yeah. they won a Stanley Cup. They won well, a because they listened right? to Laura Brannigan. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, so it happens. But, I mean, you know, this, it's not happening. Because that's team. what I'd, I'd like to see at this point. Like, I don't think that Gabe Kapler is, is um, you know, holding this team back, right? Like, I think at this no. point we could say that he may not be the guy for the job. They're not – uh, you know they haven't achieved the way that they wanted to. You could criticize him strategically, and, and certainly you have, and we have. But I don't think that the like, Gabe Kapler is, is preventing this team from reaching great heights at this point. So we can fire the manager, and we can bring in whoever we want to bring in at this point. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to change what's happening with this team. So then I look around and I say, all right. And I wrote a column on Friday before the second half started. I said, the Phillies have a chance to kind of like change the narrative of this season. And, you know, they have their weaknesses. There are certain things that they they lack in terms of depth and in terms of their starting pitching. And, and it's been well documented. But the, the overlooked aspect of this really is the psychological, the mental, emotional aspect of, of what this team seemingly lacks. Like, we can talk about all of the things that they physically lack from a baseball standpoint, but they just don't seem to have edge. They don't seem to play with – they don't seem to play with a lot of balls. Like, they don't they don't respond to adversity within games. They blow a lead. They don't necessarily get the lead back. You know, a starting pitcher hits a bump early. The offense tends to go quiet. That's that seems to be what the deal is with this team. Like Zach Eflin, yeah. like we're gonna let Zach Eflin off the hook tonight because he ran into some bad luck in the fourth inning. A couple balls were hit somewhat hard, but there was a bunt in there, a couple bloops, a couple misplays, and then things got out of control. But like, okay, like let's look at tonight's game specifically. The Phillies leave the bases loaded in the first inning. They have Clayton Kershaw on the ropes. They load the bases again in the third inning after Scott Kingery hit the solo shot to give him a one nothing lead. And they don't get the run home. It was Bruce who I believe struck out. Yeah, he struck out. And then Mike Alfranco grounded out. And so they leave the bases loaded two times in the first three innings. Like, hey, Zach Eflin, get the ball back in the fourth inning. Shut them down. Give the offense another inning to get it together. And give your team a chance. You know, like, that's what this team seems to lack. Like, nobody steps up in the big moment and says, I got us. And... And when they do, like, you could say, well, Mike Alfranco hit a walk-off homer on Sunday. Like, okay. But then, like, when they do, nobody feeds off that energy. Like, there's just no emotional consistency with this team. Like, a lot of teams would have said, like, hell yeah, big walk-off homer that kind of kept us afloat. Let's friggin' go. And then the next night, they just fall apart again. It's just the mental and emotional and psychological aspect of this team seems, in addition to all of their physical and ability shortcomings to, to also be a glaring weakness. Yep. And you know what else, Bob? They've lost <laughs> They lost by 14 runs for the third time this season. 14 or more runs for the third time this season. First time since 1935. Wow. Just thought I'd, you know. Yeah. Not that, again, that's, it's just a microcosm, right? And I thought the show had gotten away from like last year. I like a lot of stats, like right. Like I would, I would text you at like three in the afternoon the day we were going to do a show. I'd be like, yeah, I got all sorts of stuff, you know, since August eighteenth and OPS this and weighted on base average that and like big stats guy. And tonight I started to actually prepare a lot of stuff. I'm like, you know, Phillies play a crisp game tonight. We're going to come in and like let's get a little bit more numbers oriented. Like let's get a little bit deeper on things. But then that happens and like. 
I don't, I don't, I just don't, I don't have it in me at this point. Like, I think even the smart fan that, like, really likes the data and the stats and, like, wants to crunch numbers and get into the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about here, I think it's impossible to watch what you watch tonight and even really care about the numbers whatsoever. Like, it just kind of comes down to, like, a, they're not playing well, and they build a bad team. You know, like, I, I can't get into the numbers at this point. It's really hard to go deeper and, and get into the, like, I don't want not the analytics of it, but, like, to get there's into the, the number-based stuff of it. There's like, no reason to. There's no move, like, there's no move to criticize tonight. Like, why, did they, why didn't they go to the righty there in that situation, no, you know? There's, like, no, there's no reason to go into it. It's, it. It was as plain as day today the difference between what a good team looks like and what a not good team looks like. You don't need to go you don't need to break it down numerically. We don't need to go with, you know, counting statistics or new analytics or anything else. We don't have to do any of that stuff. You watched the game tonight and you saw the difference and that's it. <laughs> that's it. And look, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I get it. That lineup is really good. And they yeah. they picked apart the Phillies, beginning to end. I mean, it was it was a it was surgical. Okay, how well they hit against the Phillies, but you you can see the difference between what the Dodgers do and what the Phillies do, and yeah. it's 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 night and day. Uh, did you see? Just to to kind of turn this to a, just turn it away from the carnage for a moment. In the eighth inning tonight, Yaxel Rios hit Justin Turner. Yeah, what was up with that? And and Turner tried to defend him. Yeah, so Turner, <laughs> like at the time, like he's looking out at Rios, and I'm thinking, like, is he really like, is he pissed? Like, I really don't think Rios tried to hit him there, you know, or and even if he did, whatever. But so home plate umpire he, Doug Eddings behind the plate tonight, and he comes out and he throws Rios out of the game, and everyone's kind of like, are you kidding? Like Real Muto was like in disbelief at that point. And I see Turner, and I'm like, is he jawing at Real Muto? Is he jawing at Rios? Like, what's he doing? And it comes out after the game that he's defending the pitcher. because, like, I don't really think you should have thrown him out of the game. Like, I don't think he was really trying to hit me. I mean, like, that's that's where we're at, man. Like, that was that game got so comical tonight that a guy gets doinked with a pitch, and he turns around, and he's defending the pitcher to the umpire. Kind of like, dude, like, who cares? Just leave him in the game. It's just like what a what a complete mess. And then you see Gabe run out there and he's giving it to Eddings and like it just I I have to say, like you talked about like earlier where, where the Phillies are trying to warm up someone that wasn't ready. Like this to me in the in the honestly, the twenty three years that I've really watched this team, like a hundred and forty nights a year, I don't know that I ever remember a game that had this many unusual and embarrassing moments compiled into one to one night. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we can sit here and, and we have, and I don't know that we formally assign blame to one person. I, I guess the only thing to really talk about here before we, we close things out, what do you do now? Like, what... What is the move, whether it be a firing or a trade or something? What is it that you do now? I don't do anything. You just, you just, you're going to let it play. I know you said this earlier in the show. Is this is really Gabe's your manager until until game one sixty two? Let it play out with what you got. Okay. Don't touch anything. I don't care if they completely tank and finish with the second worst record in the National League ahead of only the Marlins, which, by the way. 
is not unrealistic at this point. They're only five and a half games ahead of the Mets, who have the second worst record in the National League. Just pointing that out. Okay, there's only God, is five. That two, and I mean, like, they're two games yeah. over 500, and and it, that's where they're at, really. Five Jeez. and a half games ahead of the second worst record. Okay, oh all right, so it's possible. Yeah, you um, know, the Reds are only yeah. Looking at that, the Reds are only four back of the Cubs in the loss column after yeah, tonight. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just let it be. Let the season play out, and then admit how that it was a disaster. You know what? You know what is and amazing. You fire the people you need to fire at the end of the year. You know what is amazing though. Like, look at the second wild card. Because I, you know, and uh, I will say this. You know, and you could have easily called me out for this. I wrote off the Nationals hard, hard after the first month of the season. I said that team sucks. And they have been as good as anybody in the National League now, yep. really, for, for 40 games. I mean, they've been almost historically good. I don't know that the Nationals – I think I read the other day that they had, they had entered the Philly series um, leading or tied in the seventh inning of a game in 19 straight. And I think I also read something along the lines of that they had matched their best 40 game or they had, they had come close to matching their best 40 game stretch in franchise history. So – they look like they are trending toward probably hosting a, a wild card game at this point. That second wild card spot, though, like you look at the teams the Phillies are in competition with: the Giants, forty-five and forty-nine; the Rockies, forty-six and forty-eight; Fucking the Giants. Brewers, the Brewers. I mean, the Giants are right there, dude. Like they're right there now. They, they had they they scored, um, and I don't know what they did tonight, but going into they had a doubleheader today, and they blew out. Colorado this they afternoon. won two to one in the nightcap too oh okay going into that game they had scored 90 runs in their last 11 games yeah I you know what I think the Giants are doing I think the Giants are looking at it and saying let's get Boach one more yeah. playoff yeah well could you imagine having a, a clubhouse of guys that had some pride and and respect and and went out there and and yeah played they're, over their heads yeah playing you know for their, they're playing for their manager playing right for now. their manager yeah yep but you like you look at those teams and you go, eh. Like they've they've clearly got flaws. The Milwaukee Brewers, who everybody has a hard on over forty eight and forty seven. Like, what are they doing that that they are a, a half a game behind the Phillies right now? The the Cardinals forty seven and forty five. Like these teams are all flawed, man. Like there's nobody that is that is some like absolutely impenetrable force at this point, but even still, it's it's hard to construct an argument in which you say, well, like the Phillies will will be the best of those mediocre teams. It's it's really hard to see that path after these first four games coming out of the break. And it doesn't really matter, Bob. I I don't see how any way I don't see any way that the NLCS is not Dodgers Braves. I agree with you. I, I would tell you this, and like I understand that we live in a, a bottom line uh, type of society, but. I would have been content. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have been had they lost the game. I'm sure I would have been frustrated. But at least some season that ends in a, a over 500 record with a, a playoff appearance, you could at least look at and say, like, all right, you know, we got somewhere we haven't been in eight years. Let's use this to build. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but it just doesn't, doesn't seem like it's, it's possible at this point. No, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I don't see it happening. And I don't uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that and I think this is why there's, there's so much mediocrity in, in the National League. Like you, you look at it and say, 
we go, we're going to scratch and claw and fight and everything to get to this wild card game and then have a one game playoff for the right to play the Dodgers. Yeah. Like <laughs> your odds are long, like really, really long. You know, is it is it worth it to to you know finish a couple no, games over five hundred? No, it's not. And then you you pull off an up you know, you throw no, let's say you're the Phillies, okay? And now you win you f- you finish the season eighty three and seventy nine or eighty four and seventy eight. You make the playoff. You get at that second wild card. You got to throw Nola in the play in the one game playoff game against Washington. Let's say you win. He pitches you a, a gem, right? Now you go into a Dodger series and Nola can't pitch till game four or game three, game four. What the hell? Like, what's the point? There's I don't no know. point. Like, just just to have that. Like, you know why though? Because like, like people forget this. It's it's September 26th, and it's it's like 54 degrees, and it's two two in the eighth, and Reese Hoskins comes up, and he hits the huge home run that gives the Phillies this monster win that turns the tides and gets them into the playoffs. And it's an experience that he can put into his bank that he can say, like, all right, like, if we figure some things out a year or two from now when we're back in this spot, like, I had this experience. I played in front of a packed crowd in September when the games really mattered, and I had a positive outcome, and I can succeed at this point in the season. Like, there is some value in that. And, like, I don't – it would be cliche for me to be like, just look at the 2007 Phillies. Even though they lost to the Rockies, they won the world – like, listen, not everything has to go along the same trajectory as the 07 and 08 Phillies, but I do think that in general – Playing important games down the stretch matters, and having success that time of year can be beneficial down the line. So, like, for me, yeah, are the Phillies, in in any scenario, going to win the 2019 World Series? Absolutely not. Are they even going to get to the NLCS? I don't think so. I really don't. I agree with you in that sense. But, like, there is some value in those experiences and having guys that are going to be a core part of your team in the future playing in high-stakes games that late in the season. I thought we were going to, at the very least, get that. Not frigging apathy on July 15th. Yeah, no. September 26th, fans in Philadelphia are only going to be worried about one thing. No, E-A-G-L-A-S. Yep. At, at, who are playing the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football that night. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the only thing they're going to be yeah. worried about that night. So, yeah. no. Yeah, there's no, no, it's it, it is what it is. It That's is what, what is. sucks because I feel like the Phillies, the Phillies, raw or robbing or actively robbing us. Yeah, of, they, fa- they of failed that. us. They failed us. They did. They failed us, and and they failed us quickly. And and you know, it's one thing to not, you know, hey, look, if this Phillies team was competitive, and you know, they still had a similar record, and they were still battling, and you know, games were games were closer, or guys were playing better, and whatever. We could we could probably endure it a little bit, Bob, and they'd say, "Oh, well, you know, they just missed the playoffs by a game or something, but they had an 88 win season. All right, we're still okay. We're still in this thing next year, whatever." But now you sit there and say, "They just took they just took everything away." Yeah, or even if you had a guy that was having a a noteworthy away. season, like even if they had a everything. guy that was just having like an, an an objectively excellent season, like it, <laughs> you know, even if Bryce Harper had 31 homers right now, or Reese Hoskins had. 33 home runs or you know like it, they just there's no there's nothing there's nothing to feel great about <laughs> there's just no oh god they've broken me they've done it 
they they've broken me in the middle of July. Yep. So. Yeah. I don't know. What do they got tomorrow? Who is it tomorrow? I don't even know. I don't it's, think they get Ryu, right? Like I think I read that Ryu is. At, yeah, they miss Ryu, but it's okay. Velazquez for the Phils, right? Uh-huh. I think is is the case, and uh, uh, it's uh, Walker, Walker Bueller. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then on uh, Wednesday night, let's see here. Just clicking through. On Wednesday night, we got uh, Nick Pavetta yep. versus uh, Kenta Maeda, who, by Dodger standards, is about as weak of a link as you're going to get. And, and then, then uh, I guess it's Aaron point. Nola probably to try to salvage a game <laughs> on uh, Thursday at, at 12.30. How many people do you think are going to be at a 12.30 game on a day where the high is supposed to be 97 degrees? <laughs> I think a lot of people probably purchased tickets for that game. Yeah, uh-huh. Because it looked like a marquee game at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I, bet you, I bet you it's got a good turnout. You think people are going in droves to see Ross Stripling versus Aaron Nola on well, Thursday I, at 1235? I, I, I don't think they're getting a walk-up, but I definitely think that those tickets were pre-purchased. I think that's, uh-huh. a, sol- I think that's a solid sale. I really do. Uh, okay. I really do. Yeah, cool. I'll, hey, I'll Bob, be there, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you, know, uh, you know something? We got a, uh, a new five-star review, Bob. Uh, did we? <laughs> what do you? <laughs> you laugh. Are you surprised by this? Or? No, I just it, we didn't. You know, we okay. didn't read one on the last episode, and so we okay. got to read all one right. here. So we right, figured, you know, we read them all out. You know, uh-huh. um, and we got it. Uh, this is actually so we didn't do an episode last week because it was the All Star break. So it was actually from the week before, uh, coming off of our last podcast, um, and it's from me zero zero two one zero. New listener approved. I'm a newer baseball fan and a f- fan, and a friend told me about this podcast. I'm so glad that I listened. That there's so much baseball knowledge between these two, and it's really interesting to get different perspectives. Looking forward to future episodes. Definitely two entertaining personalities. Well, that's very nice. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, me. <laughs> So yeah, I so read yes, that. yeah. Uh, if you want to, if you want to leave a fi- uh, five star review for us uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, I, I got to keep remembering to call it that and not call it iTunes anymore. Yeah. Um, Yo, I gotta say, I, I hope people listen to this one because I think that this is like peak crossed up. I think this is one of our finest performances. Oh, I you, I tweeted in the middle of the recording. I thought it was so I good. I saw that, and <laughs> I, I'm reading it right now. Recording crossed up with with me and. It's uh, going to be straight fire. Don't miss this episode tomorrow. And uh, I just retweeted it. Actually, I just quote tweeted it. And I said, I would argue that this was an objectively excellent podcast. <laughs> so you know it's good. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, yes. Have, a feeling, I have a feeling when uh, Russ puts this out tomorrow morning, uh, the title of this podcast is going to have something to do with uh, being objectively excellent. Yes. It, I think it actually will be an objectively excellent podcast. I think that's going to be our title. Yeah. Do you absolutely. have? I don't know if you do. We've kind of gotten away from this a little bit. Do you have a one last thing, or is yeah, there well, anything that yeah, that I isn't Phillies related that we can talk about? I do. Like I, I, I'm, I'm so not liking the. So I know Major League Baseball has this deal with the Atlantic League, right, where they're testing things out, and the whole robot empire thing. It it drives me crazy, Bob. You it don't like the robot umpire? No. Oh, not, I love not, the robot umpire. Not in the least. Oh, not in the least. God. So there's a delay. Can we? Can we like wait? Can we? Like, can we just wait on this for a week? I want to. I could. You asked me if I had one last thing, minutes. and I did. 
Oh man. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. No. Go ahead. So, I, so here's why. I, here's what. Here's what I don't like about it. Okay. Um, uh-huh. it, the, it, so the way that the the way that it works is that they have the uh, the camera or the radar or whatever they use the lasers or however it works um, on like the facade of the of the stadium uh, aimed down at home plate. Okay. And then there's a human being umpire who still calls safe and out at home plate and stuff like that, um, who is actually in position but doesn't actually call balls and strikes. Instead, he's wearing uh, an earpiece. Um, it looks like an earbud for that matter. Um, and waits for the computer to tell him ball or strike and then makes the call. The problem is, is that pitches that are close – the computer takes a second to really kind of tabulate it and think about it and make a decision and then relay it to the umpire that you have instances where the call isn't being made until the catcher's throwing the ball back to the pitcher. Now, if you have that happen with runners on base, it can absolutely impact the game. Because what if it's a what if it's a three-ball count, right? Is if you're the catcher are you throwing down because you don't know if it's ball four or, you know, like the, is the guy stealing or is he moving? Like what it was, what's the deal? If you're the base runner, are you moving? What are you doing? Like you don't know. Right. There's just too right. much that you don't so know. So is your, your criticism of it not that there's a robot umpire that can absolutely with certainty get a call correct? It's the delay of the call that bothers you? Is that the deal? Well, that's one of the things that bothers me. I'm not convinced that, the, I'm not convinced that it's absolutely 100% going to get the call correct. Did you watch like, was, that, that tennis match? Did you watch the tennis match on, so on Sunday? I didn't. I, I didn't watch it on Sunday. Although I do know that it was you know one of the greatest ever, great final with Federer. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And neither did I. I mean, I, yeah. listen, I'm not. I'm not setting you up really. I just was wondering if you would like. You see how the technology is used on like the yeah. out of bounds. Like, is it in or out? Like that stuff's almost instantaneous and it's spot on. Like you would think that that technology would translate to a more seamless process with yeah. Look, with I, baseball with TrackMan. I think is what it's called, right? TrackMan. Yeah. So the other thing that I have a problem with is that you don't like the the strike zone doesn't change, and I, I know that's going to sound weird, but every batter is a different batter and has a different strike zone, and the strike zone doesn't really change. Yeah, it's supposed to adjust to the height of the batter, but what if the batter changes the stance? Right, I mean, there, there's there is a different strike zone. So there's an and not only that, I think this takes strategy out of baseball completely, because there's a thing, you know, if you're a pitcher or a batter for that matter, and you have a, a certain umpire umping a game, he may call it differently than yeah, another umpire. Yeah. And you and part of what makes baseball great is figuring that out and knowing, okay, all right, he's not going to give me that outside pitch. I gotta I gotta throw in a little bit more. You t- we're taking all of that out. The, the advancements in technology in, in sports, while in some instances is beneficial, in other instances sanitizes the game and makes it more boring. Yeah, listen, and, and you're not wrong. It's just that I'm a high school baseball coach, and I hate umpires. I mean, <laughs> I, hate, I hate them. And yeah. they're, they're not very good, and yeah. uh, they're, they're trying their best. I get it, but a lot of them are awful, and it has completely jaded me. And I've I've watched plenty of games where for six innings 
eight pitches a strike, and then in the seventh inning, we only play seven in high school. This it, it doesn't. It's no longer a strike, uh, and it makes me crazy. And so I would I long for some form of consistency in a strike zone. So I, I am not the right guy to talk to about this because I feel that that my team lost a South Jersey championship because of questionable umpiring but whatever okay track uh, or, then let me say this let me say how me tra- track man let me tell you how track man can be beneficial without actually taking over the game uh, umpiring of the game what if track man is used as a measure for the human umpire in other words it's sure. used to determine which guys and how much they're how many they're getting right and you have a certain percentage that you have to nail you know, on average, I mean, okay. obviously, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so, like, you have to get 92, 93% right on balls and strikes. And if you don't, then guess what? You don't work. Yeah, I mean. Right? And so that way, yeah, that way it's accountability some, for the umpires. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so I'm cool with that. I'm cool with <laughs> using it as a, as, a, as a way to make umpiring better, but I don't want it to replace the human umpire. And I am sure then, after we've had this conversation, that you are absolutely enamored with the idea of being able to steal first. Well, so from what I understand, and, yeah. And for those of you, and for those of you that do not know what we are talking about, the Atlantic Go League ahead. also, I think uh, it was in their all-star game, trotted out this concept of being able to steal first in which if a catcher does not catch the ball clean in the air from a pitcher in any count, like so you know if there's, if there's two strikes on a batter and there's a swing and a miss and you have a drop third strike, the batter can reach first base. It would be at any point, if uh, the, the catcher does not field the ball cleanly, the batter has the ability to break for first, or in other words, steal first base. Um, which, when I heard it, I said, that's completely ridiculous, but just from a pure entertainment standpoint and kind of making every pitch a little bit more interesting, that, that isn't like the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, I don't think I would want to adopt it into the Major League product, but... It's kind of kind of interesting, at the very least. No, not interesting at all. <laughs> I was not trying there. I was trying. I was like, I knew you were just going to dunk on me there. So at all. No, uh, but I'll tell you. The one thing I will say about that is that um, that's not one of the things that the MLB is testing no, in the Atlantic no. League. That's something the Atlantic League is just trying on their own. Um, yeah. That's not something that the, that MLB is looking. But the but the robot umpires that is tied in with MLB. That is tied in with MLB. Yep. So, um, just so, just in case people don't know, the deal that they have is that um, you know Atlantic League will try out different rules, things that, that Major League Baseball wants to see, and in turn, Major League Baseball will se- will send a higher percentage of scouts to Atlantic League games to try and get more players from independent baseball into the majors. That's so, the deal. A hell of an exchange there. That's that's the well, deal. yeah. Okay, so. No robot umpires for you, and uh, no stealing first base. Nope, nope, okay. ain't doing it. Ain't doing it. All right, hey, well, do, uh, so do we have, uh, yeah. do we have to do we have to do some business here at the end, uh, which that we should have probably yes. done at the beginning. <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah. should probably have been in the beginning think, of the show. I don't know. At this point, you might hear <laughs> Russ might have already said this. He might have edited himself into this podcast. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there is some business. Uh, I, I believe uh, we need to go through a couple different things. Uh, let's start with Cinch, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Cinch from Amerigas, if uh, 
Uh, listen, I'm not going to read the copy that you read last time. Let's just let's be real about it. Sometimes you don't want to do things like take your propane tank back to the place where you would take your propane tank. Uh, Cinch will do a doorstep delivery of it and take it away from you for only ten dollars. Uh, and you can and you can take advantage of this deal by using the promo code It's Lit Five uh, when you visit the Amerigas and Cinch website. <laughs> How was that? That was good. That was good. It's Lit oh, Five. Yeah, no, apo- no apostrophe yeah. in it's. Yeah. No. No. It, no apostrophe. It's Lit Five. That's yeah. the promo code. So if you go to Amerigas's website, you can simply plug that in. And uh, take advantage of that deal. It's actually a pretty cool service. Um, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of friends have tried it, um, and they they said it actually is a pretty cool service. So I, I, we will say that. And then uh, I think we have to pivot to the uh, myriad of of different podcasts that we have in the Crossing Broad Network, right? Absolutely. Go ahead. So we have Snow the Goalie. You guys just did a little crossover thing with the uh, Blues Podcasters. Is that correct? We did. We did, we did with Let's go, go, Let's go Blues Radio in St. Louis. They okay. uh, right. they reached out. They had a cool thing that they were doing. They reached out to uh, one podcast in each city um, that they thought was the best podcast in, in each city um, to do a crossover episode with to talk a little bit about hockey uh, in you know St. Louis and Philadelphia, any kind of connections between the two cities. And they picked us, which uh, was pretty cool. They picked Russ and I. So we did that. We have another one coming up. We're actually recording tomorrow, uh, Tuesday the 17th, um, another crossover episode. But this one more local. We're going to do a crossover episode um, with uh, st- the Stick to Hockey podcast, which is Jason Mertitas and Russ Cohen. Um, so we're going to do a little Flyers talk with them, uh, those boys, uh, tomorrow night, which will be out on Wednesday. Very cool. Uh, you have Crossing Broadcast as well uh, with Kevin Kincaid and Russ Joy. We'll run that. And uh, well, what else do we have? We have the uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, Kevin Kincaid. Uh, and I believe uh, – do you know who he's with at this point? Yeah, no, it's always a difference. A Kevin, different guy all Kevin, the time. Yeah, guys jumping in, whatever. Yeah, so Kevin's usually got some pretty good stuff on the union. You have It's uh, Crossing Broad FC as well. And I won't even say broad lines. I think there's something in the works there, but uh, we're not ready to quite get to that yet. So uh, we'll Mm. have some gambling-related podcast content Mm. as well. Uh, Plans are changing on that front. And then uh, I guess we can't quite say the other thing yet, right? The thing that we have going on? Are we not there yet? The funny thing is, right, so uh, this is what I'll say. There are people that know about it that have Mm -hmm. nothing to do with Crossing Broad. And it's being okay. talked about by multiple people, but yet we can't say anything. <laughs> All right. Let's have a conversation about that off air once we hit the kill button on this. Yeah, you got it. No problem. No problem. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We got the Phillies three more against the Los Angeles Dodgers before the end of the week. I don't Yay. know if the next time that we're talking, uh, there may be some some changes. Maybe not. I don't know. I believe the Phillies are in Pittsburgh for a three-game set this uh, weekend. Uh, let me ask you this well. question. Let me ask you this question. This is wrap yes. it all up. Uh-huh. When we record again a week from today, will the Phillies be above 500? Ooh. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> yes. That's a, I think it's I think Ooh, it's yes. I think it's fifty fifty to be honest with you. I'll stay I'll say yes too because it would really take us an epic collapse in the next six I games. I believe to that be below the Phillies 500. will 
Yeah, I believe the Phillies are going to lose three out of four to the Dodgers, and they will win two out of three against Pittsburgh to keep themselves above 500. Okay. I, I, yeah. I think it could end up being right at. <laughs> yes. Right, right at 500. <laughs> that, I think, that, too, I think that's a is real possible. Possibility. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, well, enjoy your 500 baseball team while it lasts, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you.